we come to the fruit, okay? This is what I really want to focus on is the fruit, okay? And the fruit is so important, it, it's unbelievable that there isn't way more studying and teaching on this. But it doesn't matter. We need to study it right now. It, it says the good ground here produced fruit in a few different ways. Um, here are the phrases that are used when it talks about um, the good ground bringing uh, fruit. It says brought fruit. I'm sorry, brought forth fruit, beareth fruit, did yield fruit, bear fruit, and bring forth fruit. All these different ways. It says that they uh, produced fruit. Now, I want you to think about something. Because everyone just says, oh yeah, well these are the saved people. These are saved, right? Notice, it never uses the word saved, salvation, born again, etc. Never does it say in any of the accounts of the parable of the sower that any of the, uh, the any time does it say the word saved? These are those that are saved. Never says it one time. And so, why is that important? Because the people who misinterpret the parable of the sower try to tell us that, oh yeah, the seed on good ground that saved people, but it never says the word saved. You know what it does say? It only talks about bearing fruit. And why is this? Why does it only say that the this good ground is the one that produced fruit? And in the interpretation, by the way, notice that it says, I didn't even, you know, write this down, but it says in the, in the, because there's a telling of the parable in every account, right? In all three of the different Gospels, there's the telling of the parable, and then there's the interpretation of the parable in the same chapter. Well, in the telling of the parable of the good ground, it says uh, it bare fruit, and some 30, some 60, 100, and then in the interpretation, it says they bring forth fruit. So there's no real, there's no explanation, right? An interpretation of what is this fruit? Right? It just says they brought forth fruit, fruit, and then in the interpretation it just says they brought forth fruit. Why is that? Why why isn't it why is every other one they're like, well, you know, um this happened and then this represents this. The word was sown and the fowls devoured uh, the fowls of the air devoured it up. Oh, that's the devil taking away the word out of their hearts. But this it says there's fruit, and the interpretation is they produce fruit. Why is that? Well, that's because no fruit equals no salvation. All right, and before we continue, I am going to make sure that we're clear about this continuing before we continue. This is going to be the primary theme and point of this teaching, and what is going to follow is a thorough, thorough study proving no fruit, no salvation. Okay? If there is no fruit in someone's life, they say that they're saved. They say they're born again. They say they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. All that stuff. But there's no fruit. Year after year after year goes by. 
no salvation. They're not saved. Okay? And I am going to give you as much evidence as I can from Scripture. Alright? So, having said that, please stick with me to see what it is. So, now, before we continue, it says there will be different amounts of fruit. We're not talking about sinless perfection. We're not talking about if you're not, you know, produce a hundredfold and you're not the apostle, the second, you know, incarnation of the apostle Paul, then you're not saved. That's not what we're saying. That's not what I'm saying. It says there will be different amounts of fruit. Some third, hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. But it nowhere does it say no fruit, okay? Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. It never says zero. Some will have nothing. Some will be barren. Some will have no fruit whatsoever. Doesn't say that, does it? It does not say that. But some would have you believe that some Christians will produce zero fruit. Some pastors will teach that if someone can get saved and for their whole lives produce zero fruit, and they're not gonna, and then they say, "Oh, they're not gonna die and go to hell. They'll just, you know, lose rewards," or they come up with some, you know, unbiblical thing where they say they'll go to outer darkness, which is some other compartment of heaven where. They'll go cry for a little bit and then basically come back to God and be saved in the end no matter what. Anyways. But no matter how you slice it, they're just trying to make excuses for false converts that have never had any fruit in their life or have been producing rotten, evil, disgusting fruit in their life. And they're saying, well, you, you know, we don't, we're, not just supposed, we're just not supposed to look at that. Because that's work salvation, right? Even though it has nothing to do. I'm not saying, and most of the time other people are not saying, you need to do works to be saved. But they know that. These men, who I have discussed many discussions, uh, discussed many discussions, I have had many discussions with people like this from the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. And other, others to other denominations, whatever. But this I've had a lot of experience with. And they will be told and explained so thoroughly to them that, listen, we're not teaching work salvation. We're not saying you have to quit sinning to be saved or you have to do works to, to, to say you're saved or you have to do works to maintain your salvation or anything like that at all. And they will willfully not understand, pretend not to, and still continue to falsely accuse, falsely accuse over and over again, never acknowledging that now they're lying. They're absolutely lying. So these people, uh, some of these people, maybe they're ignorant. But a lot of them are willfully lying. And twisting what people like me and others are teaching about the fruit of salvation. They're lying because they are wicked men who are lost 
who want to live in sin and justify sin and they want to make other people twofold more childs of hell than themselves. And I'm here to hopefully take an axe to that tree and cut down. So, no fruit, no salvation. It, it, it says some hundred, some sixty, some thirtyfold, but it never says no fruit whatsoever. This type of gra- ground, the good ground, is the only one of the four types of ground that produces any fruit whatsoever. You ever think about that? Seed by the wayside, no fruit. Excuse me, no fruit. Seed by, on the stony ground, no fruit. Seed among thorns, no fruit. Zero. The only one that produces fruit is the seed on good ground. To back this point up even more, let's look at what the Bible says about fruit and salvation. Okay? So I told you, not only are we going to uh, uh, compare the different accounts of the parable of the sower in the different Gospels, we're also going to see what the Bible has to say about these things in other places. Because, guess what? The Bible has quite a bit to say about fruit and salvation. That there's fruit, evidence of that you've been born again, that you've been saved. And not that you get saved and you pray a prayer one time and then nothing ever changes in your life and you continue living like you've never been changed your entire life, living in sin like you always have, never have any any victory, never being freed from the bondage of sin, and you just live in a a life of defeat and sin the rest of your life. No, the Bible talks about fruit. So let's take a look at it. Here's a few points about that. About fruit and salvation. Fruit is said to be an evidence of repentance. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Verse 7 and 8. Okay, so this is John the Baptist preaching, right? And he sees all this huge crowd. They're coming to him. They're, you know, people that are getting saved and they come and they get baptized. Then all of a sudden the the Pharisees, he sees them coming. He's like, oh, I don't think so. Generation of vipers. What are you doing here? You you just want to get in on this so you can give the appearance that you, you're, you know, you're doing the right thing because you fear what the people think. You just want to give the appearance of your, your religiousness. Right? Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. Ooh, this is such a controversial thing. It shouldn't be. Bring, he said, Oh, who told you guys that you, you should come here? Who warned you? Well, before I baptize you, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. What does meat mean? It means uh, suitable. Bring forth fruit showing that you have already repented, right? Because the fruit comes after repentance. Show me fruits of repentance and then I'll baptize you. Because he didn't believe 
what? That they had repented. He didn't believe at all. Now, this is very inconvenient for some people, dispensationalists and Rachmanites. And so what they like to do is, first of all, throw away all the Gospels and say, none of that applies to Christians. And they'll say, oh, this, ah, that's only to the Jews. That only applies to the Jews. Well, as I am showing and I will show, the doctrine and the teaching of fruit of salvation is all through not only the New Testament, all through the Bible. And you would know that if you were born again and you studied the Bible. And you weren't searching through the scriptures through the lens of your false systems and traditions of men. Or searching through the scriptures to find scriptures to twist to justify your sin and your wickedness. He said, bring forth fruits Meat for repentance. Okay? So John said there are fruits that are show that someone has repented. What happens to trees that do not produce fruit? This is all in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 3. Go down to verse 10. What happens to, in Matthew 3.10? And now, John says, And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees, Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, cut down, and cast into the fire. The tree that doesn't produce good fruit is good for nothing. It's cut down. And also, if you if you go and read Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, uh, Jesus also says that trees which do not produce fruit are worthless to the Lord of the vineyard, and they will be cut down as well. So if you go look at Luke 13, 6 through 9, you'll see a, a teach a um, that it's teaching it lines up exactly with this this teaching, which is that if there's no fruit, if a tree doesn't produce good fruit it will be cut down and cast into the fire. So the trees that don't produce fruit are cast into the fire. What is the fire, right? Because some people try to argue about that too. Well, what does the fire really mean? Does it mean actually mean hell or does it mean something else? Well, go down to verse 12. Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. Whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his weed into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So it's not just any type of fire. It's unquenchable fire. That's where the trees that don't produce good fruit are thrown into. Now what is this unquenchable fire? I'm making sure I'm defining every single thing. What is this unquenchable fire? Well, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verses 43 and 44 says, And if thy, Jesus said, If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire 
is not quenched. It's talking about hell. Hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Unquenchable fire is the fire of hell. So, trees that don't produce good fruit are cut down, cast into the fire. What is the fire? Unquenchable fire. What's unquenchable fire? Hell. So, trees that don't produce fruit go to hell. Pretty clear to me. No fruits of repentance, you're going to hell. Turn or burn, sinner. Turn or burn. Trees that do not produce good fruit are cut down and cast into hell. No fruit equals going to hell. What does the fruit of repentance look like? John the Baptist explains in the parallel passage in Luke. And by the way, I said fruit of repentance. I didn't say you do things in order to earn salvation. No. Comes after salvation, evidencing, showing you have been saved. Alright? So, uh, in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 8, Luke 3, 8, he says the same thing, right? Bring forth fruits for repentance meat for repentance then they start asking well what do you mean by this explain Luke 3 8 says bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance begin not to say within yourselves we have Abraham to our father for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham and now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He says it again. And then, verse 10, And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? Right? Because he says, Before I baptize you, bring forth fruits meet for repentance, worthy of repentance. And he said, Well, what, what do you mean? What shall we do to show that we've repented? And then he gives examples of Fruits of repentance. That's all this is. It does not mean do these things in order to earn salvation. That's not what I'm teaching. That's not what he said. It's fruits of repentance. Okay? We have to say that for all the learning impaired fundamentalists out there. Who like to twist words under their own destruction. Uh... Verse 11, he answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and said unto them, Master, what shall we do? Fruits for repentance for them. He said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. So what is he saying? He, they were saying, they all said, the publicans, the soldiers, other people, they said, what, you know, you said bring forth fruits for repentance, worthy of repentance, but what do you mean by that? Well, he's saying, show me evidence that you're not the same wicked person you were before. Well, for the publicans, exact no more than that which is appointed you. Because when the publicans would go to collect taxes, they would take more than the people owed in taxes and they'd pocket the difference. So he said, if you have repented, 
the fruit is going to be, you're not going to be doing that anymore. You're not going to take more than you, you're supposed to take. And for the soldiers, he said, oh, if you, if you say you've repented, you're not going to do violence to anyone, falsely accuse, want more money, do other things to get money, you're not going to hurt people for no reason. Whatever their sins were, he said, if you if you want to sh you're going to tell me you've repented, then that means you're not doing this stuff anymore. That's evidence. That's fruit of repentance. That's what it says. John was giving them specific examples of fruit or evidence that they had repented. These were not good works. He was telling them to do in order to earn salvation. All right. So what? So we have there fruits. Fruit that has uh, evidence that you have repented. Fruits of repentance. And it said, if there's no fruit of repentance, John said, the axe is laid to the root of that tree and it's cut down and cast into the fire. Unquenchable fire, the fires of hell. Next point about fruit. Jesus said to examine fruit, not only of false prophets, but everyone because that's what people like to say well jesus was talking about the false prophets we'll address that you know i've heard so many of these things over the years that i don't even have to think about to hear their arguments in my head i know exactly what they say i've heard every excuse in the book every twisting of scripture and it's frankly disgusting but all the better for us to completely dismantle it and destroy it so that we may have the proper interpretation of Scripture that produces fruit, good fruit. That's what we want. All right, so Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 15. We'll read verses 15 through 20. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. We will read what Jesus said about examining fruit. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. You know, it's so funny reading this. It seems so plain what it means. It's, it's just a, so simple a child could understand it. But only sinful, wicked men could complicate this and twist it to make it mean something that it does not mean. Because I firmly believe the interpretation I'm giving is just the plain reading of what it says. There's nothing fancy I'm doing here, okay? I'm not going to some lexicon... And some in a thousand commentaries and showing you this complicated interpretation. It's just the plain truth of what it says. And using scripture to interpret scripture. That's it. And rightly dividing. I am rightly dividing. Dispensationalism is wrongly divided. And twisting. And makes a mess of confusion. And a system that no one ever heard of. And never used until the 1800s. That's a fact. But let's continue. Verse 19. Well, verse 18. A good tree cannot bring forth 
evil fruit. What's that? What was that? A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree, I want you to remember those two words, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Hewn down and cast in the fire, huh? Where did I hear that before? Oh, didn't John the Baptist just say the same exact thing? Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And then some of these people will say, well, that's just talking about false prophets. That doesn't mean everyone has fruit. And you shouldn't, exa you shouldn't examine everyone's fruit. <laughs> I can't believe I'm even saying this, but I've heard this. And pastors are saying this. Believe it or not. They're saying, oh, it's just talking about false prophets. Jesus wasn't saying, examine everyone's fruit. It's wild, man. Some say this only refers to false prophets. But first of all, let's dispel that. First of all, it says, ye shall know them, false prophets, by their fruits in verse 16. Okay, great. You could say that. But then, Jesus refers to every tree, right? You could say, oh, he's just referring to the false prophets because that's what he said in verse 15. But in verse 19, he says, every tree. So, you're telling me that the false prophets are represented as trees with good fruit and bad fruit. The, the prophets are. But people, no, they're not trees with good fruit and bad fruit. No, that just doesn't even apply at all. That's crazy. Secondly, you're trying to tell me Jesus said we could tell. You're telling me Jesus said we could tell if someone was a false prophet by their fruits, but we cannot tell if someone is a Christian by their fruits. As if we're supposed to just pretend fruit only matters if they're a teacher, a preacher, a pastor. Think about how absurd this is. It only mat fruit only matters if someone all of a sudden magically fruit matters when someone becomes a pastor. Fruit only matters if, if someone's a preacher, a teacher, whatever. That's the only time that we're supposed to examine fruit. But with Christian, no, can't look. Oh, you're not a pastor? I'm not going to examine your fruit. Nope. Can't, I, can't, I can't do that. It's only for the false prophets. Now, it sounds absurd when I'm saying it, right? But that's what they're saying. Oh, Jesus was only talking about the false prophets. I, I'm sorry, I can't help but laugh. Thirdly, Jesus repeats this teaching again elsewhere with an explanation that proves it applies to everyone. Okay? Again, let's compare Scripture with Scripture. In Matthew chapter 12, okay? Jesus repeats basically the same teaching and it's applied to everyone. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 says this, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for by, for the tree is known by his fruit. Guys, this isn't this, isn't this how it works in nature? The tree is known by its fruit. You go look at a tree and it's producing apples, you say, hey, there's an apple tree. If it's got nothing on it, you know, 
I don't know what's going on with that thing. Pretty useless. You don't see an apple tree, and then all of a sudden, it's got pears hanging out of it. That doesn't make any sense. A tree is known by his fruit. You see the apples? Oh, that's an apple tree. There's a pe Oh, that's a peach tree. That's a pear tree with the partridge in it. Sorry, I had to say that. All right? But the tree is known by his fruit. Verse 34. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. By the way, he's, this is exactly what he's talking about, the tree. The tree bringing forth good fruit or bad fruit. He's talking, he's saying um, what someone says with their mouth is the fruit of what's in their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The abundance of the heart, heart means the heart is filled with something. And if it's bad and sin, it's, go, it's going to come out of the mouth. You, could, you can't pretend forever. You can't hide, you know, because let's say you're a, you say you're a lost person, right? Well, to be born again means you're given a new heart with new desires, right? God gives you a new heart. No longer will you have a heart that desires to live in sin and wickedness. Jesus said out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts and sins and wickedness and all this stuff, right? So if you're lost and you have a wicked heart, you have a bitter heart, heart of stone. You're bitter, you're angry, you're, you're, you're whatever, you, you have a wicked heart, you're a liar. No one can see your heart, right? No one can see it. I can't see your heart, only God can see your heart, right? We know that. But, Jesus said, there's an abundance in there. And eventually, with abundance, it's going to come spilling out. And circumstances in life will cause things to manifest out of your mouth. Because you may, let's say you, you go about your life, you go to work, you come home, you go to church, not too many things to inconvenience you. And so nothing really happens. But let's say some trial comes down. You're put in some real tough circumstances. Then maybe... Whatever's in your heart is going to come flying out of your mouth. And that's the fruit of the abundance of the heart. Verse 35 is saying the exact same thing as verse 33 in a different way. Right? He's saying, a tree, um, make the tree good and his fruit good. Or the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. But then he says, a good man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. Whatever is in your heart, if it's a good heart, it's going to come out, it's going to bring out good things. If it's bad, it's going to bring out bad things. Bitterness, anger, cursing. Filth, the Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let no filthy communication proceed out of your mouth. That's evidence of a, of a wicked heart that's never been saved. If you got a filthy mouth, 
or you're unthankful, you're a murmurer, you're a complainer. Evidence that there's something bad going on in that heart of yours. Right? So that's the fruit of the mouth. Um, and Elsewhere, the Bible talks about the fruit of, uh, of praise of your mouth. So, and Jesus repeats this teaching in Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. If you want to go check that reference, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45, he repeats that teaching. So you got even more evidence there, okay? So, Jesus said to examine fruit, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So he says two things. He says... To examine the fruit, you shall know them by their fruits. Okay, by their fruits you shall know them. A tree is known by its fruits. So you're going to know what kind of tree it is by looking at its fruits. That's one thing. And then the other thing that is said is that if a tree doesn't have good fruit, it's cut down and cast into the fire. Okay? So those are the two things that Jesus uh, teaches. And he's basically just... He's backing up and, and coinciding the same thing that John the Baptist was saying, okay? So, um, it goes together. It doesn't contradict each other. Um, and you know, the Bible flows together quite well when you're not a dispensationalist. And you think that there's a seeming contradiction, so you say, oh, i got to cut that out and make that a different dispensation. No, maybe it's because you don't know how to interpret the Bible. And not even interpret the Bible, maybe because you're lost. Now, I'm not saying everyone who's a dispensationalist is lost, but um, they got some pretty wacky interpretations. Now, you might wonder why I'm hammering on that so much. Well, because it's rampant among fundamentalism, and they have caused a lot of damage and produced a lot of false converts, and it's because of all their false doctrines. Their doctrines of devils, which have uh, been wreaking havoc in churches for decades. And uh, it's time that the axe would be laid to the roots. So, next point. Jesus said the branches that did not produce fruit would be burned. Okay? Uh, this is another great chapter, John 15. Okay, and John 15 is another great chapter when it talks about fruit in, in connection with salvation. Okay? Uh, so, if you want to know about that, it's it's a very important chapter. John 15, we'll start in verse 1. I'll read the whole thing of that passage, and then I'll uh, break it down a little more. So John 15, 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye, my, so shall ye be my disciples. 
As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, so there's quite a bit in here. You know, I'm sure we could go on and on and on about this. But let's look at a few things that Jesus said here. Okay, in verse 2, he says that every branch in me that beareth fruit, he taketh away. Now, some people say, well, he said branch in me. Well, it doesn't matter if he says in me. Okay, there's nothing in here that says that does not say this can't be a false convert. Okay, because the standard is not because it's called a branch. Okay, and he talks about abiding. He talks about fruit. You have to take the whole thing together. But these people will say, take two words and say, well, it says that. Instead of looking at the whole passage, compare it with the rest of scripture, with the rest of the Bible, taking the teaching as a whole, they'll just hinge everything on the two words and say, well, it says in me, so obviously these are saved people. You know. And uh, it's just a very dishonest, shallow way of interpreting the Bible. And so um, it says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Okay? So the branches that do not bear fruit, they're taken away. It's the same thing as every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and cast in the fire. Same thing. And it says, Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Okay? So the father is the husbandman. It says, the branch that brings uh, beareth fruit, he purgeth it. What does purge mean? Well, the Bible talks about purging sin, like purge out the leaven, therefore. It means to cleanse and purge out sin, to get rid of it. And it's talking about, since the father is a husbandman, this is about, compared to pruning, okay? Now, as someone who's done a lot of pruning, I could tell you this. When you prune bushes and trees, it stimulates growth. That's why it says the branches that bear fruit, they purge it, that it brings forth even more fruit. Okay? And that's what the pruning does. So you go into a tree, you go into a, a shrub, and you prune out all the dead. And sometimes it might look kind of a little bit ugly for a little bit, right? Because you, sometimes you got to hack out a big chunk. But eventually, it's going to grow in, it's going to fill in. But when you, after you, you uh, trim all that off, you come back a couple weeks later, there's all kinds of new growth. There's green on there. And you're stimulating more growth. And same thing on fruit trees. It stimulates more growth. So those that produce fruit, he's going to prune it, and they're going to produce even more fruit. But those that have no fruit are completely cut. Okay? If I see a fruit tree, I've pruned up apple trees before, and it's taken a long time. But you get up all inside that thing, cut off all the little dead, all the suckers off the bottom. It takes a long time. But if I see any branch that has no fruit, I'm cutting it off. I'm pruning it right off. There's no reason to leave it there. Get it off. And if I need to get a saw, I'm going to get a saw. If I need to get a chainsaw, I'm going to get a chainsaw. But I'm cutting that thing off. Because it's useless. If you have a, a fruit tree... You want it to produce fruit. That's the whole point. But somehow, people are saying, well, 
you can have a branch that has no fruit, and God is just going to be like, oh, no problem. Here's the, here's the branch with no fruit, right? And I'm just going to let it sit here on the... Um, I'm just going to let this, this branch sit here with no fruit, and I'm just going to leave it, and they're saved. That doesn't make any sense. Why do you think... Why do you think that this comparison to fruit, this metaphor about fruit is used over and over and over again by the, in the Bible? John the Baptist was saying it. Jesus is saying it. It's talked about other places in the Bible. Why do you think it's being, it's being said over and over again? Because of how important it is for there to be fruit in salvation. All right, so every branch doesn't take fruit, uh, bear fruit. He takes it away or he prunes the ones that already have fruit. And if you think about the pruning and the purging, this is like when, you know, um, the chastening of God, right? Because the cha- and I'll talk about the next passage. It says chastening from the Father produces more, produces fruit, supposed to produce fruit in the life of a Christian. So go, go down to uh, verse 5. It says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing, okay? So if you are in in Christ, you're abiding in Christ, you will bring forth fruit. And it says, for without me you can do nothing. But you can't do it of your own power, okay? That's one of the greatest things that you can get down in the Christian life is, is that verse. Just drill that verse into your head, that, that portion, that statement that Jesus made. For without me... You can do nothing, right? If you get that down, you're going to have success. You're going to have victory because you cannot do anything. You cannot produce fruit. You're not going to do anything good in your life without Jesus Christ. You need to depend on him completely. You need to pray. You need to read the word of God. You need to depend on God to produce fruit. But Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You're not going to produce fruit. But if if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and they men gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. Again, it's the same type of language that's used. The branches that don't have fruit, the trees that don't have fruit, they're cut and thrown in the fire. Again, no fruit, they're cut, thrown in the fire. It says over and over and over again. When it talks about even about the parable of the tares and tares and the wheat, it says that the tares are gathered up in bundles. And thrown in the fire and burned. And they gather up the wheat separately. Over and over again. That which is useless and it is not producing fruit is thrown out and burned. Um, and here it is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Evidence that you're a disciple of Christ is that you bear fruit. And then one of the other things is he says... Because it says, right, he says abide multiple times. He says, um, he says, abide in me and I in you. He says, if a, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth. Well, if you, you might say, well, what does it mean to abide in Christ? It says in verse 10. That's the last thing I want to say. What does it mean to abide in Christ? In verse 10, it says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. He defines it for you. If you keep the commandments of Jesus, you are abiding in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you, again, that doesn't mean 
you keep commandments in order to get saved. No, absolutely not. God forbid. But you keep commandments that it shows you that you are saved, that you have repented, that you are born again already. And you show your love. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Right here he says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. So abiding in Christ means you're keeping his commandments. But those who don't abide in Christ don't keep his commandments and they never do throughout their life. They're cut down and cast into the fire. No good fruit. All right. Next point about fruit, right? We're talking about continuing these points about fruit in connection with salvation. The scriptures say that those who are saved will be chastened by God if they sin and the chastening will produce fruit in their life, okay? They will be chastened by God and the chastening will produce fruit, okay? This is, a real, this is an important thing as it talks about fruit. It says it right there. So the scriptures say that those who are saved will be chastened by God if they sin. The chastening will produce fruit. All right, so Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read verses 5 through 11. All right, so let's turn to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. This is talking about the chastisement and very important passage. Evidence of salvation. One of the evidences that you're saved is that if you sin, you will be chastened by God. You will not be allowed to just go through your life sinning getting away with it and um you it doesn't bother you all right uh hebrews 12 5 says and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children my son despise not thou the chastening of the lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him for whom the lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth if ye endure chastening god dealeth with you as with sons for whom what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. Now no chastening... For the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Okay, so that the reason I posted, I posted it. The reason I put the scripture in here is that in verse eleven, it talks about the fruit. Right, it talks about yielding fruit. Now, this passage is talking about chastening. It says, if you are without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. If you are a sin, if you, you claim to be saved and you sin, and you, you're never chastised by God, then you're not saved. Okay, it says you're not a son. But in verse 11, what does it say the purpose of the chastening is? It says, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. So what that means is that, think about it, when a kid does something wrong and they're like, oh, I don't want to be disciplined, right? They don't want to be chastened. And it seems like, oh, it seems like, oh man, I, I didn't have to get chastened. But then when they're older, 
is it going to produce good character? Are they going to be, you know, are they going to turn out good? No, they're not. It's not going to produce good character. The Bible says, train them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and all those types of things. And it's it's it. So it'll seem to be joyous, like, oh, okay, well, I'm getting away with it, but it's not going to result in anything good. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So it specifically says that the chastening of God yields fruit. Chastening yields fruit. It should yield fruit in your life. Uh, fruit of righteousness, good fruit. And that's a, that's one of the points of chastening. Okay? So if you are saved, one of the evidences is you'll be chastised by God and then the chastisement will produce fruit and you will, uh, because of the chastisement, you will not want to do the, the things that brought on the chastisement upon you and there's the fruit. Okay? Here's another thing, another point. With fruit, there is specific fruit named in scripture that shows you are saved and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Specifically says, there's fruit specifically named that says, here is evidence that you're born again and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Galatians chapter 5. We know this, right? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. What is it called? The fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means you have the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, think about it like this. Because we talk about things that you can't see and things that you can see. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you, right? And you, your body is the temple of God, the Bible says. Now, when that happens, no one can see it, all right? You can't see it. No one else can see it. It's totally invisible. But the Bible says there is fruit showing you that the Spirit is the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside you. And the fruit evidencing that the Spirit inside of you is what is listed. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. And so if that fruit is absent in someone's life and they don't have any of this fruit of the Spirit, it's evidence that there is no Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Fruit versus no fruit. Good fruit versus evil fruit. Fruit of the Spirit versus, what does it say in Galatians 5? Works of the flesh. They are directly contrasted against each other to show the difference between a lost person and a saved person. But again, we have the word fruit used again. And then again, it says fruit of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9. Ephesians 5, 9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Okay, so again, it's showing there is fruit. If the Holy Spirit dwells inside you when you're saved, 
there will be fruit in your life showing that the Spirit is there. And then one more, one last thing about fruit and salvation. The Lord is waiting to reap the fruit of the earth, not barren trees with no fruit. The Lord is waiting to reap the fruit of the earth, not waiting to reap barren trees with nothing on them. James chapter 5 verse 7, James 5 7 says this, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. James 5 7. Okay, so the husbandman, wait, brethren, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. The husbandman is God and he wants the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting for fruit. He's not waiting patiently for a bunch of trees that don't have any fruit on it or a bunch of trees that have evil fruit, disgusting looking, molding and rotting fruit that smells weird. He doesn't want any of that. The husband is looking and patiently waiting for the precious fruit, the good fruit. That's what he wants. And he's waiting to reap, not barren trees. He's like, what's all this? Why, why, why cumbereth it the ground? Cut it down, throw it in the fire. All right? Once again, I say, no fruit equals no salvation. There's no fruit in someone's life. There's no salvation. They've never been saved. All right, so that's it with fruit and salvation, which is explaining a little bit more about good, the good ground because the good ground, remember, is the only one of the four grounds that produce fruit. The only one. And look at all the what the Bible says about fruit in connection with salvation. No fruit, no salvation.